If you turn to Acts chapter 15, and I'll pray. Okay, Lord, we, um, we just thank you so much for the opportunities we have to come and worship you, and uh, Lord, to just come into your presence. And uh, Lord, it's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for preserving your word that, um, you know, that we have uh, in your word um, the truth. And it's so comforting to, to know in the times that we live in today that there is truth. And it's found in you. And uh, thank you for giving us the privilege to be ambassadors for you, to be lights for you. Um, Lord, as we live out our lives on this planet, and uh, Lord, what a privilege. So we thank you for that. We thank you for our time together, that you would uh, bless our time, bless your word, and uh, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week we closed off chapter 14, and we looked at, wanted to spend some time looking at what was at stake. Um, you know, Acts 15, I really believe, is, um, you know, I, it, I know it might not be easy to compare church history with world history, but this has got to be right up there in the top five things in human history. I mean, as far as importance to the church, um, settling this issue um, about salvation, being saved by faith, you know, through grace, it's not by works. You know, we... Uh, we were looking at some of the things that, that were at stake. Um, you know, we talked about they were mixing the law with grace, trying to pour um, new wine in the old wineskins. Uh, we talked about the religious leaders trying to sew back up the veil, right, that was torn, that gave us that free access into the throne room of God. You know, and, you know, when you, if you, you take the time to let some of that stuff kind of settle in and think, what was at stake here? You know, what was at stake? You know, um, I want to look at two more. I had, a, you know, I got a bunch of them, but we really need to get into, <laughs> into Acts 15. So um, one of the other ones was they were rebuilding the wall between the Jews and the Gentiles that Jesus had destroyed on the cross. So if you can, you know, and like, and this isn't really a literal, I mean, it is a literal wall in the temple, but this is figurative. You know, the wall was that separation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just read some of the scriptures that pertain to it. And um, these are, I mean, this is um, basic. I mean, th these are just so fundamental scriptures that we have. Um, with, with these next two topics and when we get into Acts 15. And something I want to mention in case I forget. You know, think of, you know, Paul wrote Ephesians well after this conference in um, Jerusalem. But the things that he wrote in Ephesians, you can see that God is already developing in his heart the doctrine that the church really is going to, you know, that's going to be foundational. And, um, boy, it's just amazing to see that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, um, I'll read them to you. It says, For he himself is our peace, that's Jesus, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, 
having abolished in the flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. So, of course, Jesus is our peace. We know that, but um, the Pharisees, these Judaizers, um, you know, and some of these, you know, some of the Pharisees did get saved. They just are holding on to the tradition, and they don't want to let go. You know, they feel that, and we, and we talked about this last week, you know, they wanted the Jews to um, convert to Judaism. I mean, the Gentiles to convert to Judaism. But, you know, that wasn't going to happen. So Jesus, you know, I, I like to use the word annihilate, or, you know, he just annihilates the wall. It isn't just, I mean, it's just obliterated. I mean, it's gone. It's gone. And like I said, it's not a, um, it's not a, a literal wall that, that Paul is talking about in Ephesians. You know, it's that, that you know, I mean, you, we have walls in our lives that aren't physical, right? I mean, you can relate to that, right? There's people build walls. And sometimes, you know, we have these walls and we get saved and then the Lord spends a lot of time knocking them down, knocking them down. And it's something that to take this, you know, as we're, I mean, we're looking at this as church history and some of the things that the Lord has done. But, you know, you really need to, um, and I hope this comes out right, but you really need to police your own mind and heart because Dave is the biggest culprit when it comes to putting myself back under the law or, you know, you know, carrying guilt around that I don't need to. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. So some of the application tonight is basically, is, is, is just basically that. Don't do that. When you read these scriptures or hear them, you know, remember that God has made a provision for everything that we need in life in our walk with him. You know, and Pastor Rob said it this morning, you know, don't, I mean, you don't, we don't have to live um, that kind of life anymore. We can live a life that is free from all of that guilt, from the self-condemnation. We can live free of that. And, you know, a lot of that is seen in here. You know, so don't build walls. Don't, you know, don't condemn yourself. When you look in the mirror, you should smile. Right? I try to do that every day. Look in the mirror and smile. And Marianne will ask me, what are you smiling at? Just me, honey, just me. But you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm excited about the life that I have in Christ because it's real. And everything that, that we're going to look at tonight, everything that, you know, when you look into the Word, all of that is real. It's reality. It's our, it's our reality. And that's what we need to believe. That's what we need to, like, incorporate in our minds and our hearts, that this is what we're reading is real. It's true. This is God's heart for us. And, you know, that was at stake. And, you know, we really need to thank God for these apostles and Paul and these men in, you know, in this conference in Jerusalem that are, were willing to take a stand and say, hey, wait a minute, that's not, that's not going to happen. So we have, need to keep in mind that there was a lot of division that wall represented division between the Jew and the Gentile, right? And when, G when that wall was taken down, you know, obviously it brought the two together, right? It brought the two together to make up the church, right? Jew and Gentile.
to become one body, right? The church. And they're going to be talking about this stuff, but keep in mind that that whole doctrine of the church isn't even, has it come into play yet? So this is pretty interesting looking at, looking at it back um, that way. Um, let's see. The New Testament church is not a continuation of Israel, the Israel of the Old Testament. Okay, it's new. It's new. It's something entirely distinct from anything that has preceded it or anything that will follow it. The church is going to be, we saw it this morning, the church is going to be with the Lord in heaven forever. Forever. It's new. So this should be apparent from the following remarks. It's new that the Gentiles should have equal rights and privileges um, with the Jews. It's new that the Jews and Gentiles should lose their national identities by becoming Christians. And I know I kid around about Cornelius and those guys, you know, the first Gentiles being Italians. But, you know, there's no, you know, there's no, there's none of that in the kingdom of God. You know, there is, I mean, we could be proud of our heritage and, you know, some of the family traditions and things that we have. But when it boils right down to it, we're Christians. We're born-again Christians. You know, we're, you know, we're one. We're one in that. Um, it's new that Jews and Gentiles should be fellow members of the body of Christ, the church. It's new that the Jews should no longer be under the law. And that was huge for them. And that's part of, I really believe that that's part of the problem going into this conference and these um, Pharisees coming down from Jerusalem is that, you know, when you, you think about it, here they are, they've been like trying to keep the law trying to keep the law, just living their lives, trying to keep the law, all of the, you know, the different ordinances, everything that it entailed. And then here the Gentiles get saved, and it's like, wait a minute. You mean they can just get saved and that's it? You know, that, that's all they have to do is believe and then they're in? Come on, I've been trying to do this for years. And then, you know, the message to them is too, but wait a minute, you, you've been set free from the law too, you know, what a relief that must have been for them. It's just like the opposite when I got saved. I mean, it was like, what a relief. Oh, my God, relief. God loves me. You know, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but before I got saved, I wasn't a good Catholic. I wasn't even a good person. Not that I'm good in that sense. But, um, you know, I just thought that I would never be able to, um, to get right with God. Never. Because I was trying to work my way into God's good graces. And then somebody told me, wait, well, you don't have to do that. All you have to do is believe. And they shared the gospel with me. And it set me free. So think of how these Jews felt. Like, oh my gosh, he's finally, the Messiah is here. He set us free. He set us free. And now there's these legalists that are holding on to that. And they want to try to reverse it all. And we talked about this last week. You know, think how futile it is to try to undo God's will. They're trying to undo what God has established. What God has prophesied over thousands of years, they think that they're going to just step up and say, hey, wait a minute. But think about it. They were used to that, right? They tried to educate Jesus on the law, right? They tried to tell him how wrong he was about the law. But, I mean, obviously it didn't work with him either, right? So it's so important for us to understand that. All right, here's the last one, and we'll get into Acts 15, they were putting um, the heavy Jewish yoke on the Gentiles' shoulders. And we're, 
Um, one of the verses, one of the references we're going to look at tonight is in, in uh, verse 10 of Acts 15. It says, Now therefore, and this is uh, Peter speaking, why do you test God by putting a yoke or the law on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? We talk about hypocrisy, right? Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. These are, these are all familiar verses. Uh, Galatians 2, 20 through 22. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for it is the right. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain, which he didn't. And then Galatians gives us really what the purpose of the law was. And these verses make it obvious that once the purpose of the law had been accomplished, then it, it wasn't needed anymore, right? And so Paul is. It depends on how you look at the time frame for um, the conference in Acts 15. Either Paul has already written this, or Paul is going to write it soon. So wherever you fit in there, I don't think it makes that big of a difference, but, um, you know, it's either or. So this is the purpose of the law, Galatians 3, 19 through 29. So he says, what purpose then does the law serve? Was it added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made? And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. And that's emphatic. When he says certainly not, it's like, yeah, no way. There's just no way. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture... But the scripture, well, the word, but the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But therefore, faith, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. You know, they, it's, it's, it's so, so simple, just so, um, just right out there. I mean, it, the language is very clear, very clear. Don't let anybody ever try to talk you out of that. I mean, just point them back to the word of God. And I like how Paul says it, but the scripture has, right, he's, it's confined all under sin. Paul's going right, you know, to the word, his, what the words God has given him. It says, but after faith came... We are no longer under a tutor, for, we, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, or there is neither Jew or Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So couldn't get much plainer than that, you know, but 
you know, these guys, um, the Pharisees, the Judaizers, they're, um, they're coming down from Jerusalem and they're headed to Antioch, which is up in Syria. And that's where, that's the home church for Barnabas and Paul. And it's, um, it's, it's got to be a pretty big church because in the end of chapter 14, it talks about the multitudes showed up at church when Paul and Barnabas gave their testimony at what had happened. I mean, it must have been some kind of service. It must have been some kind of service, but. All right, so the circumcision party criticizes the Gentile mission. And there's always, always, always going to be, um, it's always going to be people like this, either in the church or outside of the church. For our, you know, for us, in this case, it's from inside the church. These guys are believers. They feel a certain way. I look at Acts 15 as like a how-to-do kind of chapter. You know, how, do you, how to settle differences within the church. Because the way that, these, you know, that they go through this whole chapter is really something for us to keep in mind and as a guide. You know, because everybody's going to have an opportunity to voice their opinion, to voice their views. And then, the, you know, James, obviously, he's, he's the head of the church. He's going he's gonna to evaluate what he's heard, and he's going to come up with a plan. And we find out at, towards the end of it, we're going to see um, that it was the Holy Spirit who put it together. And, you know, that's really, that, that's the blueprint for how we should settle doctrinal issues in the church. And thank God that most of them really are just, they're, they're settled. It's just sometimes people don't like the way they're settled. So they disagree with them, and, you know, then there's an issue. But um, these guys are, um, boy, they're, they're heroes in my estimation. You know, they're brothers in the Lord. But, man, these guys, you know, for, I don't think that I can really totally grasp, um, you know, the risk that these guys are taking. You know, because we've already seen Paul has already been dragged out of Lystra and stoned and left for dead. You know, people back then, it seemed like they didn't mess around. You know, if they didn't like you and they had a, there were enough of them, they were putting an end to your existence. So, um, you know, I really, uh, I really appreciate these men. Um, I already said a few of these things because I usually do get ahead of myself. Um, here's a, and I did mention this, and I just want you to kind of give this some thought because, you know, we can look at these Pharisees and, like, and, and think that they're, like, evil and... You know, they're up to no good, and some of them probably were. But try to keep in mind, like I said, the, the position they're coming from. This had to be a hard pill to swallow that, hey, you know, um, if I'm a, I'm a Jew and John's a Gentile, and to say, hey, how could John just say, I believe, and he's in? Wait, that just doesn't seem fair. You know, so I, I'm not making excuses for them, but I'm, I'm thinking there's got to be some regular folk here that are just saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, all right, explain this to me. Could just help me understand it. And they're going to do that. And they're going to do that. I think the timing is another thing to keep in mind. And this is, you know, the enemy is, he thinks his timing is perfect. And, you know, I mean, if, sometimes when we look at it from the outside and it looks like, well, yeah, you know, this would be the time to try to disrupt something. Paul and Barnabas just get back from two years on the mission field. They're sharing with this 
a church that is considered, you know, there's a multitude of people there. So it's a big church. And they're rejoicing in what God has done. They're excited about how God has moved in the Gentile world. They're excited about the fact that, you know, that that middle wall of separation is gone. That veil has been torn. And, you know, now people are getting saved. The word is getting out from Jerusalem, out into the uttermost parts of the world. And now here comes the enemy working through these guys to try to bring division into the church. So the timing's another thing to look at. And you, can, you see that throughout some of the, throughout Acts, you know, it seems that things are going good. And then, you know, Acts chapter 5, everything's going good. And then, you know, the, Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit and they dragged out of the room dead and buried. You know, think of the shockwaves that that went through the church. You know, and that was right after something great happened in Acts 3 and 4. Well, 2, 3, and 4, actually, 1, 2, 3, and 4. You know, the Holy Spirit, you know, the day of Pentecost. So the timing here is like, okay. And, hey, you know, you, you never know. Do, did the disciples, did these guys sense that? Like, hey, this is like, this is important. I mean, we got to nip this in the bud. You remember Andy from maybe, Andy and Barney Fife? Barney Fife was saying, Andy, we got to nip it. We got to nip it, Andy. So he's like, this has got to be nipped in the bud. They got to get this. So let's, um, let's read the first five verses. Okay, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, so no small means... Must have been a pretty big dissension. They must have been going toe-to-toe about this. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. So... Well, let, let's read the five. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Whoa. Okay. So, Boy. So they come up, they says that they cannot be saved in chapter, in verse 1, that they cannot be saved. It's not saying, I, I mean, that in itself is, for whatever the reason, you know, whatever the reason is, that's a pretty bold statement to make. And, you know, you have to keep in mind that the Pharisees were um, the legalists. And, you know, when you look at a legalist, legalists are good at adding to the word, making additions to the word. You know, and then there's the liberals in the church, but they don't add to the word. They take away from the word. So right now we're dealing with legalists. You know, these guys want to add to um, the work of Christ. They want to add to it. So no small dissension. There must have been a serious dispute. And um, 
you know, if you read past this and you, you see, well, if you read it in the Corinthians, first and second Corinthians, you can, you know, Paul was, you know, Paul smoked his mind, you know, and, you know, these guys, I'm sure, I'm sure that it was um, heated. I'm sure it was heated. Um, so it's interesting in verse 3 that they're going through, you know, they're, they're up in Syria and they're coming down through Phoenicia and Samaria. And you would think like, you know, maybe we shouldn't say anything about the Gentiles getting saved or anything. Let's just get this settled first. Now, these guys are so confident that they know what's going on and what God has done. On their way to settle the issue, they're already, they're, they're, they're sharing the gospel and these people are excited they're getting saved. You know, there's no, um, there's, it seems like there's no downtime for these guys. And, I, I, you know, it's not, I'm sure they got rest and stuff, but I met no downtime when it came to ministry. And, you know, guys, the application is so obvious for us. All of us are in ministry. And you know what? There's really no downtime. If, you know, you have the opportunity to share the gospel, share the gospel. If it's uncomfortable or not, share the gospel. Because there's so, it's almost like somebody went and tipped the world upside down, where everything that used to be one way is now another way. But the only thing that hasn't been turned upside down is the word of God and the message of the gospel. And it, you know, they can turn the world any way they want. Man still only has one way to get right with God. And that's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. None of that's changed. And Paul and Barnabas and these men that came down with them, they knew that. They knew that. And you know what? They're meeting people, and they're saying, hey, where are you going? Hey, we're going to go settle this down in Jerusalem. You know, it's a done deal, man. You know, Jesus, you know, and they're sharing the gospel with them. It was just a part of who they were. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of who we are. So, um, yeah, let's move on to verse 6 and 7. So now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. And when they had much dispute, so they're still hashing it out. That's okay, though. It's okay. They're hashing it out. Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, maybe about nine or ten years ago, Acts chapter 10, right? God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by what? By faith. By faith. Not by circumcision. Not by keeping the law. He purified their hearts by faith. So this is, we talk about timing again. I want to go back to Acts chapter 10 for a minute. Now, we know Acts chapter 10, Paul is in Joppa, Cornelius is in Caesarea, Paul is just hanging out with Simon the Tanner, and uh, Cornelius gets, visit, you know, gets a visit by this angel and says, hey, send Send some of your guys down to uh, Joppa and bring Paul back. You know, he, basically, he's going to share the gospel with them, right? So Paul ends up going back, you know, 
guys kind of know the whole story in Acts chapter 10. So Paul, he's up on the roof. The Lord lowers down the sheet, and he kind of deals with the whole issue of things unclean. Peter, yes, Peter, Paul. I got Paul on the mind. So <laughs> thank you. So, you know, Peter is, you know, he, the Lord deals with him. He tells him, hey, you know, these guys downstairs waiting for you. Just go with them. Don't ask any questions. He goes with them. He uh, meets Cornelius. Cornelius tells him, you know, how the angel had told, you know, what the angel told him. So he um, goes there and, you know, he, Peter walks into the room and, you know, he sees all these people there, you know. So Cornelius has got the crew there, you know, and think he's a centurion. So could it have been a hundred of his men plus family and friends or other people? We don't know. But it's interesting. Peter starts to, um, he, he shares this message, and I want to start in verse 43. But before I read it, I just want to let you know what I think. I think Peter has, you know, he has a sermon ready. You know, he's probably got two or three points at least that he's going to share. So let's read verse, verses 43 to 46 of Acts chapter 10. So he says, uh, To him all the prophets witness that through his name, obviously Jesus, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. So while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, Peter brought people with him, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Um, is it just a coincidence that when Peter gets to the point of whoever believes in him will receive remissions of sins, and then the Holy Spirit, boom. So I really believe what God is saying is, hey, look, that's all they need to know. They don't need to know anything else about, at that point, right? They don't need to know about circumcision. They don't need to know about the law. All they need to do is believe. And it's almost like the Lord just say, okay, good sermon, Peter, boom. And, you know, he falls on everybody in the room. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says they come upon them, epi, right? And um, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak with tongues and magnify God. And, you know, they got, it was the same identical thing as Pentecost. This is a Gentile Pentecost. So it's just, it's nice to see how things work. The enemy tries to throw a wrench in the works. It, it's, it's obviously not going to work. It didn't work. You know, and even before this, they even get here, and, you know, 10 years earlier, you know, God is already working through Peter. He interrupts his message just to make a point here. You know, Peter's, you know, he, he has to, you know, it doesn't tell us, I mean, it, it gives us some idea of what he said. There's some quote here, but I don't know if he just spoke these few sentences. We really don't know the entirety of what he said. But that had to come to his mind. Hey, wait a minute, guys. When I, when I was doing this, when I was speaking to these guys, it's, it's amazing how the Lord just kind of interrupted me right when I got to the remission of sins and believing. So, um, you know, and it just builds confidence. When I, when I look at this, I, I really just, I, I just get this, um, like this rush of confidence. It's almost like, look, God is every step of the way for these men and these women God has been there. 
They've been faithful and God has been there. They've been faithful and God has been there. And it's no different for us today. God honors faithfulness. So, you know, if you need to take a step of faith, if, you know, you feel God has put something on your heart, hey, don't hesitate. Just take a step of faith. Trust God and see what happens. Hey, and think of, I mean, even with Peter, God went out of his way to prepare Peter for Cornelius. Went out of his way to prepare Cornelius for Peter. And he's, he's still doing that today. That's what I've been really enjoying about the book of Acts. You know, we, we, God, is, God is steps and steps and steps ahead of what's going on when you read through the book of Acts. And he's, you know what, he's a couple steps ahead of us today. And he's preparing the way. And all he is telling us is, hey, look, what, what I did for these men, I'm going to do for you. You know, and, and this was a di- maybe a different time, different technology, but you know what? It's still, when it comes right down to it, if you're wearing sandals or shoes, you got to put your confidence and your trust in the Lord and in the Word of God. There's, that's, they dress different. It was a different time, but God is not different, and the way he operates is not different. And this is it right here in black and white and all we need to do is put it on, believe it, believe it, and walk in it, because that's where the victory is. That's where the victory is. So, let's see, where do we leave off? Yeah, I like that. You know, so Paul, I mean Peter, um, shares the word with them. Uh, keep in mind, these are, uh, these are the last words that we hear um, from Peter in the, new, in the book of Acts, and well, outside of his writing, but, and think he's, um, and I wrote, I wrote down the quote I wanted to, oh, come on, here it is. Okay, these are the last words of Peter in the book of Acts. He leaves us with the eternal truth that we are saved through faith by grace alone. What are your last words going to be? I mean, his last recorded words are pretty, I mean, pretty impactful, right? I mean, that has certainly had an impact on the church. So now uh, there's the transition from Peter to Paul. And Paul is going to obviously take, take the lead. Um, I was going to read... Yeah, you know what? Yeah, you guys know this. Probably really familiar with Romans chapter 3, but I just want to read it anyway. You know, and probably uh, in another, from, the, from Acts 15, probably another 10 years after that, Paul will, will write the book of Romans. But I really, um, I just love what, what it says here. I'm going to just read it. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. You know, and that's all without any, I mean, without any exception, all, whoever believes. 
for there is no difference. And, I, and you know, I love this. He, the Lord just puts us all in the same boat. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, uh, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nope. By the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he, or is he the God of the Jews only? He is not... A, is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who justifies or will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So um, scriptures are very clear about how we get saved, about how we get saved. And, you know, if you need to convince yourself of how you get, you know, we need a little reminder occasionally, right? Having a bad day, thinking you're not doing anything right, getting a little frustrated, and you wonder, man, Lord, you know, am I saved? Yeah, no, yeah, you are. You know, I'm telling you, you some of this stuff is just so basic and so fundamental for us. And, you know, that's why it's just so important, you know, Start reading from Genesis and just read through the Bible and then just start all over again. It's just because, you know, the, every time you go through the Bible, you're in a different season of your life. And the Word of God just has a way, has a way of um, speaking to us during those different seasons. So it's so important. So let's pick back up, see how far we'll get. We'll go just a couple more minutes. Uh, verse 12, it says, Then all the multitudes kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked. God had worked. Right? God, God's the one who, who's doing it. And they're just acknowledging that the miracles and wonders that God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after it, they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. So Paul and Barnabas, it really doesn't even give us an idea how long they spoke. They just shared up in Antioch all of the things that God had done. Um, we don't have any time frame, but when, you know, God did a lot of miracles and wonders, they shared that stuff. And it's interesting, God, you know, God did that confirming the word. And it's, you know, back then they didn't have, um, they couldn't say, you know, they couldn't pull out a chapter and verse. You know, these guys were preaching what God had revealed to them. And he was confirming that by these, these miracles, by these different um, miracles and different works. So 
Um, do they still happen today? Sure, I believe, I believe God can do whatever God wants to do today. Back then, I really believed that that's how God validated his word. Sometimes, now, I think that there's, you see in today's culture, in today's church, in some instances, you see the opposite of that. But, you know, hey, you know, you got to keep in mind, don't get frustrated by some of the dumb things you see in church because, you know, we don't, we're not, um, we, you know, we don't need to sort all that out. Use wisdom, you know, you go someplace where they teach the word of God and let God handle the rest. Don't get frustrated with stuff like that. And even doctrinal stuff. You know, you have questions, talk to the pastor, right? Talk to the pastor. God's, God's given us uh, men. I mean, we're blessed. We're blessed with, with some of the leadership we have in this area. Okay, so, you know, we, uh, we, got, we got what we need. So Simon shared, um, verse 15, and with uh, this, the words of the prophet agree, as it is written. And then he quotes Amos 9, um, verses 11 and 12. And something to keep in mind, he's not, he's saying that this is a part of the fulfillment of that, but there's, uh, there's, there's a lot more references to the Gentiles obviously becoming um, you know, getting God's, you know, saving Gentiles out of the world, right? They don't know about the church yet, right? But they know that Gentiles are going to, God is going to save Gentiles. So Peter quotes Amos. He says, after this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild, I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. So he quotes Amos, and then he says that, um, hey, you know, we're, um, you know, we're not going to trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, they're not going to put um, they're not going to put them under this yoke. They're not going to put them under this yoke. But they, um, they have to do something, right? Because there has to be, um, they're going to bring um, a balance into the church now, right? Because there's going to be some, uh, there's going to be some guidelines for the Gentiles, right? And I think that there's a lot of wisdom in what, the, what James is going to come up with and then what they're are going to agree on. And you know, the thing is, um, you know, we're going to pick up there next week or the next time I, I teach on Sunday because I want to spend a little time here and I don't want to, um, I don't want to labor your patience. So let's pray. Lord, um, I'm just so thankful for your word and uh, for the men and women that have gone before us. And Lord, um, you know their family, um, their family. They're, uh, you know, they've um, they've set the the bar high. Um, you know, Jesus, we know you set it. <laughs> you you set the bar, but these folks really challenge us. And as we look back at their lives, I I pray, Lord, that um, we would be challenged and stretched by that. We would be encouraged um, to see um, you know men and women um, hearing the word of God, believing the word of God. 
Um, you know, having the faith to, to act on the word of God. And um, Lord, I pray that we would, um, um, that we wouldn't, um, Lord, that we wouldn't um, think that, that we couldn't attain to, to, to this um, level of Christianity, if uh, that's a fair statement, Lord. Um, I pray, God, that um, you would work in our hearts in such a way that, um, you know, that there would be no doubt, um, no doubt at all in our heart that um, what your word um, is saying is true, that it is the truth. And, Lord, I, I pray that we would keep um, our relationship with you simple, I pray, God, that we wouldn't complicate it, Lord. And, Lord, I, I pray that um, we would um, certainly um, work on our intimacy with you, those things that are, um, Lord, important to grow in, uh, in more and just more intimate relationship with you, being in the Word and, and praying. And, you know, we see these things in the early church. And, and Lord, this is what the church needs today. We just need to be... Uh, more in love with you uh, and less in love with the world, Lord. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to um, look at our lives, to look at the things that are going on in our lives, Lord, and that we would allow you to um, just do that surgery that we need. You know, cut out those things that need to go, uh, Lord, and um, show us those things, those areas that we need to, um, to grow in. Uh, Lord, so we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, God, that um, it's your desire uh, to have an intimate relationship with us. And so, God, I, I thank you for that, and I pray that we would come into agreement with that, that we would cooperate with those things that you're doing. And, uh, God, that we would rejoice in the fact that you love us that much, that um, you just don't ever want to leave us the way you found us. You're always fine-tuning us, always working in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. And we thank you for that and pray, Lord, that you'd give us the grace to yield to you. Uh, we love you so much. We pray for Traveling Mercy's home, that you would get us home safe. And uh, we just praise you and thank you for the rest of our night. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.